If you would now take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 as we continue in looking at this series that we're calling Stand. And we're calling it Stand because Ephesians 6 gives us insight into the fact that we are at war. But the uniqueness of this war is, according to verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So we're not at war with people. But we have an enemy who is against us, against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So as followers of Jesus, this text is teaching us that we have an enemy who is unseen but very real. And his desire is to knock us out or knock us down in our faith to render us useless and fruitless in our walk with the Lord. And so the text says, because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it's not against people, here's what we need to do. Take up, next verse, the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to do what? To stand firm. So a real unseen enemy attacking you in your faith and your walk with the Lord, but you can stand firm with the full armor of God. And he begins to unpack it then. Verse 14, stand therefore having girded your loins with truth, which simply means to be ready for attack, to be ready for what will come against you. It's the grabbing of the robe and tucking it in the belt so that there is readiness and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is what we looked at last week. The breastplate is simply what a soldier would have worn to protect his vital organs. And vital to your faith is this, that your righteousness is not a righteousness of your own. Your righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. If your righteousness is one of your own, it is like putting on a filthy rag which will not protect you in battle. But the righteousness of Christ is beautiful in this, that when it's placed on, it cannot be removed. The, the clip, if you will, that ties it is right there in that spot where you can't grab it here, can't, you can't take it off. And nor can anyone else. The breastplate of righteousness is irremovable. And, and it is that which will keep you safe from the lies of the enemy. But the breastplate of righteousness is not only what Christ has done for us. It then becomes our, what we just declared in song, our testimony in a dark world. That the righteousness of Christ that has been given to me by faith in him would now be lived out so that a watching world would see Jesus and his righteousness in you and through you. And how you live, what you're hungry for, and how you respond to adversity. So it is his righteousness and his righteousness through the testimony that we live. Next verse, verse 15, if, you have, if you're open there, it will give us the next piece that we would put on in order to be able to stand firm. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So there's something we need to put on our feet. And here's why. 
Because again, we have a lying enemy who cannot reclaim the saved soul. We have the righteousness of Christ, not our own. He cannot reclaim my soul. But he will seek to knock down the child of God and or keep them stationary. Remember, stand does not mean stand still. Stand firm so that you are knocked down. And if you're knocked down, then you can also advance. It is this issue that he wants to knock me down or keep me stationary is why I need to put on my gospel cleats, if you will. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, what are we actually literally talking about when Paul says shod your feet as a Roman soldier? He's saying, first of all, that we would be firm-footed in the gospel. Firm-footed. Mike, are you back there? I feel like I missed my picture. It was in the, there. It is. Thank you. <clears throat> they aren't you glad I asked for the picture? Sure, because uh, this is not the combat boot that you would imagine a soldier wearing today. But this is first century. It's not so much how it attached to the foot, because you might look at that and go, "Oh, not very good ankle support." Or kind of low arches. But it wasn't about what was, how it was attached to the foot. The point that you would shod your feet is what it would attach to the bottom of your foot. And so this is not a, a makeup. This is archaeological find from first century. And, and when you look at that, what stands out to you? Yeah, you're like, wow, I didn't know the Romans had soft-soled soft golf shoes. Because that's exactly what, if you're a golfer, you're like, I have a pair of shoes just like that. And in terms of the bottom. Why do, why do you wear that? Yeah, to, for firm footing so you don't slip or fall down. So it's a firm footing. So now that I ask you to back, go back to that, I have no idea where you, where you, where you placed us. Okay, firm-footed in the gospel, thanks, for two reasons. Firm-footed because the enemy will try to knock you down with guilt. Now, don't think theoretically, think personally. How have you ever been knocked down or out in terms of your walk with the Lord because of guilt? Here's how it works. Who of us have sinned? Okay, oh, it's kind of a waste of time. All of us have sinned. If you don't know that, ask somebody. You have. (laughs) And you have sinned repeatedly, correct? But then you came to Christ and your sin was forgiven and you stopped sinning. No, you're partially true. You came to Christ and your sin was forgiven, but you kept sinning. Now, show me hands. You kept sinning? Well, you lousy soldier, no good soldier. I don't need to tell you that. You tell yourself that. And you think, who am am I to talk about the gospel? My life's a wreck. And for some of you, that's really true. There's enslaving sin in your life. And the reality of guilt, either self-imposed or because you have believed the lie of an enemy, you're not engaged in spiritual warfare. Now, only you know 
because this is so personal. Only you know what level of power guilt has in your life. Because so often it's the, it's the stuff that we've never talked about. We've never really told anybody, but we live with it. So if we're going to shod our feet with the gospel of the preparation of peace, the gospel of peace, what's the gospel tell us about being knocked down by guilt? Some great news. Colossians says, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, and God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us. Okay, here we really, and I know you kind of go, oh, 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 yeah, I don't always hear all. But has he forgiven us all our trespasses? Past? Present. Future. See, I, 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 there's plenty of time in my life I was like, nah, nah, I don't know if I, can I really say that? Is that presumptuous? It's not presumptuous. It's actually vital truth that you would understand when you became alive in Christ, all of your sin, all of it was forgiven. If not, folks, you know, and I can't go before the Lord. He's a holy God. So what happened to it? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it. Past, present, future, to the cross. Don't be knocked down by guilt. Your debt, your sin, your penalty, your, get, your guilt is nailed to the cross. It's been taken out of the way. And often, we help our enemy out by taking that which Christ nailed to the cross, taken out of the way, and we import it back into our lives. And we fail to believe the truth, I have been forgiven. Fully, completely, past, present, future. That means there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean you don't find ways to condemn yourself. It means that before God, there's no condemnation. And so for you to not be knocked down by guilt is to agree with God. The condemnation is no more. It doesn't mean we ignore our guilt. It doesn't, excuse me, it doesn't mean that we ignore our sin currently. It means that we no longer stand condemned because of it. See, either we believe Jesus paid our penalty or we don't. I am convinced Paul ends Romans. This is how he started with no condemnation in Christ Jesus, and he ends it with, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. I mean, he's just kind of listing everything you can imagine and think of. To get this point, no other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is where? 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. My sin has been nailed to the cross. My guilt taken away. I am no longer under, under condemnation and nothing, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Why? Because I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of my inheritance in the saints. So I really want to just acknowledge Some of you are slipping and getting knocked down, not engaging in what our God has for you. Because though you have been made a child of God, you're running around barefooted. You're not intentionally shodding your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the gospel that says you have peace now with God. And you can only have peace with God if your sin has been fully and completely paid. I want to plead with you, beg you, believe the promise of the gospel. Continued guilt is the lie of the enemy that has caused many of us to disqualify ourselves. Now, do we still sin? Yes. Is there sorrow that would lead to repentance? Yes, that's different than condemnation and guilt, which are lies of the enemy. Our sin has been paid. So, when you feel and you experience and you hear the lies of guilt, I mean, this might sound silly, but kneel down and put on your feet the truth of the gospel. Forgiven. No longer condemned. Nailed to the cross. Connected to God. Made one with God. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. There is gospel truth that you need to put on your feet or you're not going to stand firm. That's what he's saying. Second temptation. You foolish Galatians, he writes, who has bewitched you? Who has tricked you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. In other words, he's saying, you saw the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified, paying the penalty for sin, the sinless Son of God becoming the substitutionary death. You've seen it. Who tricked you? In what way? In this way. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, by the works of the law, keeping the law, or by hearing with faith? Okay. He's asking a very important question. Are you right with God because of what you have done? Or are you right with God because of what Christ has done on your behalf? I am only right with God by trusting in what Jesus has done for me. The weakness of my own righteousness is this. Even if from this day forward, I could be perfect. And could I? No. Even if I could, what about yesterday and last week and last month? See, my own works 
of trying to do my best to do all that God says will always bring me up short. So I think, I think the vast majority of us understand the gospel. It's what Christ has done for me. It's the righteousness of Christ. If you don't know that, if you think, I'm trying to get back closer to God, I'm trying to work my way back to God, I want to remind you, I want to tell you this morning, you can't. You cannot work your way back to God. Only Jesus can restore your relationship with God. Here is what can happen, though. You and I, like the Galatians, may have believed that, and then, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And his point is simply this. If you can only be reconciled by what Christ has done by faith, then you can only live that new life in Christ by the way you started it, by faith. But I, I was a foolish Galatian who came to understand that Jesus paid the penalty so that I could get out of hell and get into heaven. But then thought, okay, now I need to repay Jesus for all that he's done for me. And I need to, by my own effort, by my own good works, prove that I am worthy of God's favor. And I'm pretty sure I'm not alone in that temptation to always go back to favor with God is something that I earn. Here's the way it often works out. You disobey the Lord, you disobey the Lord, you disobey the Lord, and you start looking over your shoulder thinking, he's going to get me. And then you obey the Lord, and you obey the Lord, and you obey the Lord, and then you start looking over your shoulder and seeing, well, how's he going to bless me? We tend to still think of our relationship with God as this ledger. So what I do good, what I do bad, and whatever, you know, whatever's winning the scales, that's going to determine my favor with God. Oh, no, I'm trusting in Jesus to get me to heaven. But now it's my works that determine my favor with God. So let me be clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man would boast. For you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That which I do is a reflection of a new relationship that I have received by faith, and so that which I do, I do by faith and gratitude to my Savior. But any time that I slip back into I need to repay God for everything that he's done for me. What I need to do, I need to uh, kneel down and shod my feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I need to put my gospel cleats on because I'm slipping back into a, what I would simply call a works mentality. Don't slip back into that idea of... It's what I do that earns favor with God. 
Because now it becomes about me instead of Jesus and what he has done on my behalf and what he will continue to do on my behalf. So let me, let me just pause before we go on. There might be a moment for you right now to go, mm, Lord, I confess, I've slipped back into, it's what I do, it's what I do, it's what I got to do, it's what I got to do, so that God doesn't get me. Or it's that, overwhelmed with guilt, that keeps you silent, that keeps you beating up yourself. As you know the ugliness, what's hidden in your life. If that's what's happening, friends, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The truth of the gospel is to keep you firm-footed in Christ and not returning to life according to your best effort. Guilt, no more in Christ. And works, that is his work in me, no longer my attempting to gain favor by the good that I do and the bad that I try to avoid. Because I'll never gain favor that way. I can't. Let's, let's be firm-footed in the gospel, not knocked down by guilt, not slip back into a works mentality. All right, <clears throat> so for <clears throat> shod your feet with the gospel. Not only to be firm-footed, but now fleet-footed. In other words, a soldier just didn't need to stand to get knocked down. The soldier was intended to prevail, to advance. And so let me invite you to, with this picture of, if, I, if I'm knocked down, I can't be fleet-footed, right? You understand the picture? If I'm knocked down, I can't be fleet-footed. But because I'm firm-footed, will that mean that I will be fleet-footed? No. So church, Christian Family Chapel, I'm talking to us right now. Uh, the Bible church movement was a great movement to get people to be firm-footed in the gospel. But sometimes that translates into, I ain't moving. I will not be moved. And that's good. Let's not be knocked down. Let's not slip back into works. Let's stand firm in grace. But let's not be stationary. That turns inward and forgets that there is a fleet-footedness to the gospel as well. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And 2 Corinthians 5 is one of many that I could have chosen, but a passage that I've chosen to look at with us this morning that reminds us why we shod our feet. And it's just such a funny thing, because who really shods their feet anyway? You think, shod my feet, just put your gospel cleats on. That makes sense, right? Every, every one of you, I think, put shoes on this morning. So put them on. So you'd be firm-footed and fleet-footed. What's 2 Corinthians 5 say about being fleet-footed? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. This is what we just talked about. Condemnation gone. Guilt nailed to the cross. One with God, unseparable. Old things passed away. New things have come. Next verse. Now, all these things are from God. Don't, don't miss that. What he just said is, I'm a new creature in Christ. 
All that's from God. That's been the work of God in your life. You can't take credit for that. All these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So let's talk about that word. It shows up twice. I've been reconciled and I have a ministry of reconciliation. What's to be reconciled? All right, make it real. If you're married, you ever had a fight? Yes, you have. Ever go on your separate ways? One stayed in the bedroom, one went to the living room, one took a walk. <laughs> so we, we've all been broken in a relationship where we, st- we stood apart and said, we're going to be one, right? So you, you committed to be one, but then you were broken. Reconciliation is simply this. You make up. The two separated parties become one. Again, God made you to have a relationship with him. Sin broke that relationship. And you were, watch, reconciled to God. You were restored to one relationship with him. And given a ministry of reconciliation, given a ministry of helping people who were made for oneness but are separated to restore to oneness. Namely, here's that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. In other words, God was in Christ taking the sin that has separated us upon himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Why? Because they were counted against Christ who died in our place. And he has committed to us the Word of reconciliation. What's the difference between the ministry and the word, the ministry of reconciliation and the word of reconciliation? Nothing. Nothing. It's the same thing. He's just saying it again, but he don't want to repeat it. The ministry of reconciliation, the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Ah. So we have an identity because of the role that we've been given. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. See, that's awesome to me. It's God making the appeal. I'm just the instrument. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So fleet-footed with the gospel. As recipients of the gospel and the spirit, we're in Christ Old things have passed away. New things have come. One of the new things that come is we are now ambassadors for Christ. If I know the role of an ambassador in terms of just our world, this really helps me understand. An ambassador represents the kingdom to which he belongs while living in a, another kingdom. Right? The ambassador of France represents France while living in a different kingdom. We are ambassadors for Christ, meaning we belong to Him. We are citizens of heaven, children of God who still live in a dark and dying world as ambassadors. We belong to a kingdom, 
but we live as representatives of that kingdom in this kingdom. This is why Jesus said, watch, Father, don't take them out of the world. Send them into the world as you sent me into the world because we are ambassadors. That, That is our identity. We represent the kingdom we belong to while living in a different kingdom. And we are ambassadors for a specific reason. What is our role as ambassadors? To be ministers, to have a ministry of restoring the separated to oneness with God. We have a ministry of reconciliation. I think that's clear. In order to fulfill a ministry of reconciliation, in other words, if we are going to be people who have been restored, made one with God, but still living in a world which is filled with folks who are not yet one with God, if we're going to be ambassadors and have that ministry of restoring folks who are still separated from God to become one with God, it's going to require some very basic but absolutely necessary elements. First, this ministry requires that I have relationships with those who are still separated from God. If I don't have, to use a silly example, if I'm the ambassador of France living in the U.S., but I only interact with French people, I kind of miss the point. I can't fulfill my purpose. So, it starts with my interacting with folks who need to be reconciled to God. So, draw this scientific equation on your message memo here. Not circles, needs to be an egg or it won't work. If you draw a circle, it's got to be an egg. I jest, but you can draw whatever shape you like. Okay, central, leg, leg, arm, arm. Very simple. Write your name here, your name. And then somebody in your life that you have a relationship with, like ongoing relationship. Aunt Mabel in Nebraska, who you saw 20 years ago, don't write her name. It's not that I don't care about Aunt Mabel. That's just she's really not in your sphere of relationship, right? So maybe somebody at work or somebody who lives on your street. Or somebody that has a son or daughter on the soccer team that your son or daughter plays on. You have interaction with them, because that's what an ambassador has. You have interaction with them, and they're not yet reconciled to God. Name, 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 name. Are there four people in your life that live in your street, work where you work, Go to the gym that you go to, 
that you have regular interaction with that are not yet reconciled to God. This isn't complicated. If it's hard, if it's hard, if you're like, I don't really know if I I need to write Aunt Mabel because I don't really have anybody else. If it's hard, this is a good indication for you to go, hmm, I'm probably not fulfilling my role as ambassador because I'm not interacting with anybody who needs to be reconciled. I'm living in a kingdom to which I do not belong, but I've only interact with folks who are part of my kingdom, which is very easy to do. This is why churches start everything that is part of our world, but they start their version of it so that we can always still be in our kingdom while living in another. In case you missed, I'm not a fan. Because I think that goes against what Jesus said. Don't take them out. Keep them in. So, you got four folks. I hope you'll think, first and foremost, not by accident. You not only live where you live or work where you work by God's design, they live where they live and they work where they work by God's design. What is he? He is, he is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He is <laughs> drawing them to himself. And so he has placed you in proximity to folks for whom Christ died, but they don't yet believe. So it starts with relationship. And second, it requires an explanation of the gospel, right? To simply be with them won't reconcile them. You can't share with them if you're not with them, but once you're with them, they have, there has to be an explanation that sin has separated from God and Jesus has paid the penalty for sin so that we could live according to our God-created purpose. There has to be an explanation of the gospel. Now, let me share an important fact with you. Below this, write 60 slash 60. Because the kingdom, and here's why, the kingdom that we are currently living in as people who are children of God, who are been reconciled to God, the kingdom that we are living in 60% of these names that you write are what has been determined people who are uninvitable to church. No, you can invite them. They just won't say yes. Their, Their exposure to church, their experience to church, their perception of church, for whatever reason, and it's always helpful to understand the story, but one of those reasons has caused them to go, I have zero interest in going to church. And I say it that way because often we think this, well, I have relationships with the lost folks, but I'll let Doug explain the gospel to them. So we invite them, except many of them, more than half of them won't come. 
They're uninvitable. You understand what I mean by uninvitable. That doesn't mean don't, because there are still plenty who will, but we need to understand that 60%, and some would say more than that, have written church off. Here's the funny part. More than 60% of this 60% would say yes to this question. Would you like to learn more about Jesus? And not go to church? Yes. Isn't that fascinating? And you may go, oh, come on. Do your own test. Do your own test. A couple, um, it's been six months ago, a little bit longer. Jackie decided she would do a, a seamless, a Bible study in our neighborhood with ladies. And so she invited those, she was doing it in the morning, so she invited those who weren't at work in the morning. And two of the ladies said this very thing, I've always wanted to do a Bible study, but that would have meant going to a church. And so I've never done one. But if that means walk down to the street to your house, I'm in. And they did homework. (laughs) Serious. They did homework. And one of the ladies was doing like, Extra credit stuff. <laughs> I know, reading and reading and reading. Why? Because 60% of the people who won't come to church, more than 60% of them are interested in learning about Jesus, just not in the mode that we normally give it. So I want to give us two this morning, two new tools to put in our toolbox. First, I want you to give you this idea. We've talked about alpha. And one of the reasons we do alpha at the table is because it doesn't feel like church. You go, oh, this is in a, more of a cafe, a coffee shop. We don't do it in here. But it is at the church. So what about this? What if, like Jackie, you went, what if I did it at home? Alpha at home. And you may think, can you do that? Is that legal? (laughs) Actually, it is. And so I'm going to invite a couple, Georgia and Christopher Park, come on up. And they're going to take a moment, and we're going to have a conversation together about this idea of alpha at home. And as we talk, I want you to be asking yourself, could we do this? So let's start, jump in, Georgia and Christopher Park. Long-time members at CFC who have not gotten stuck. Um, tell me, tell us, when it came to Alpha and the idea of doing it at home, how'd that work out in your guys' lives? Well, we got excited about the idea of Alpha when the church first presented it back in 2018. Our challenge was we live in St. Augustine, and it's a 40-minute drive, which we didn't think anybody that we were connected with there would make that commitment. So when COVID hit um, in 2020 and Alpha was going to be on Zoom, then we were able to um, work with Carol and, and get invite two couples. It got it placed on our lives. Many, the Holy Spirit had spoken to us a year before, but it, it just challenged us to go do it, and we did. So it was an issue of... Um Distance was like, they're probably not going to go if they have to drive that distance. Absolutely. All right. So 
What if we did it at home? How would you go about inviting? Well, since we knew who we wanted to invite, and we also knew them well enough to know uh, that they believed in God. Hmm? Well, this is marriage 101 right here. <laughs> you can come to our reconciliation later. <laughs> but as I was saying, yes. was anyway. <laughs> but anyway, we knew these couples, one very well, one not as well, but uh, we knew enough about them that they believed in God, but they also had significant questions about things such as the literal translation or interpretation of the Bible or how a loving God could send anybody to hell. And so they were perfect people for asking questions and learning about spiritual things. Uh, So we invited them to come have food, fun, fellowship. (laughs) Emphasis on the fun and games and things to get to know each other better. and then also told them we wanted to show them a 35-minute uh, video that our church was promoting uh, called Alpha Got Questions. And it really helps you ask questions and learn about spiritual things. And then after the evening, if you want to continue, we'll continue on with the series. We're only asking them for one-night commitment. Okay. So your invitation did include there's going to be a video that deals with spiritual things. Yeah, I'd trick them. Yeah, no. Okay. Don't trick them. Be upfront about it. Again, as you said, 60%, if you say, no. come learn about Jesus, are going to say yes. So we told them a little bit about it so they knew what to expect. And both couples accepted. And in the end of the evening, after watching the video, discussing it, they wanted to continue. All right. So I think most of us, I know when I think about that, I'm like, okay, I can imagine inviting, but... Once it goes down, was it awkward? What was the experience of it actually happening in your home? Um, Satan will definitely try to let you believe the lies, as Doug's been teaching us so well on. And so there was that apprehension, especially, you know, things like the Holy Spirit. There's a lot about the Holy Spirit, which is amazing and wonderful in this program. But some people kind of go, mm, you know, or born again. I mean, I even, I was raised like born again. That's, that's a little strange, you know. So those were real issues. And, and that was a little, just depending on God that he would, you know, keep us standing firm. And um, You so we thought, oh, we want to invite them, they'll enjoy it. Would you think they would say, ah, oh, we actually did enjoy it. We were glad they did it. I think they were both glad. And, and this couple we didn't know well. The husband was definitely a rebel, a bit of a rebel and cynic. Uh, but he kept coming back. And that's the issue, you know. And they even, we continue, we meet monthly just to, at different homes, not just our home. They are opening their homes and ask a spiritual question. It's kind of the lead, the lead person. So. Right. Awesome. That's so it's continued. Yeah. All right. So probably a big question is, what do we have to do? How do we have to prepare, get qualified to have it in the home? Yeah, I had about half a week to do it and uh, <laughs> because we switched from Zoom to yeah. doing it in the home. Uh, but the Alpha team here at CFC were great in training us, supporting us throughout the 11 weeks, and then also providing access to the Alpha Leaders website. Okay. which contains all the resources you need to be able to facilitate one in your home 
the videos, the transcript of videos with the big points, the questions to ask, everything that you need to do it is there. Okay. And the CFC team will support you in doing that. So they make it easy and they don't expect the facilitator to teach or to answer the tough questions. Right. So it's easy. Right. And anybody here can do it except maybe cars. Where's cars? <laughs> there he is over there. Right. I think sometimes we go, oh, I've got to have all the answers. And you really don't have to have all the answers. You have to be willing to just engage the questions and allow them to share with one another. All right. So I imagine that some of you are thinking, wow, that's intriguing. Could we pull that off? I've asked a few questions so that you'd get a sense from Georgia and Christopher that, yeah, it can happen, but they'll be out in the courtyard. Uh, there'll be big red, just look for the red alpha signature sign, and Georgia and Christopher will be there. And don't let the idea just stop with you this morning. Go ahead and ask whatever question you might have, and I hope that many of us will multiply what Georgia and Christopher have done. Thanks, y'all. Appreciate it so much. Thanks. Personal testimony. We've been challenged. And so uh, we haven't picked a date yet, but I'm really, really grateful that uh, Jackie just this two weeks ago engaged two of our neighbors during the day. Hey, what about just coming to our house for dinner on a Monday night and continuing some of these conversations about spiritual things? And she didn't say just one week. She actually said for six weeks. And both couples have said yes. So we have yet to pick a date, but uh, we're going to try Alpha in our home as well. And no idea how it'll go, but an opportunity to to genuinely acknowledge that there are ways to engage folks who say, I don't want to go to a strange place with a bunch of strange people, all right? <laughs> but if you've had interaction with them, you can take this next step. Training available on the 20th at 1215. Um, and that is, if you're interested in Alpha, just in general, happen on campus encourage you to, whether it's at home or here on campus, training at uh, 1215 on the 20th to participate in that. All right, that's first toolbox. Second toolbox, quickly. Write this on your uh, memo if you're taking notes. D, D as in Doug, B as in bad, <laughs> and S as in saved. DBS stands for Discovery Bible Study. And it is a, a second tool that you might consider that you could do with folks that's different than Alpha, but hits at this, how could I engage folks who aren't able or willing or comfortable to come to church with spiritual things? Now, I'm going to show you a quick 90 seconds on what DBS, Discovery Bible Study Series is. Discovery Bible Study is a simple tool that's been used around the world in diverse cultures to help people find the Bible's answers to their deep questions. It's amazingly simple. First, you spend a few minutes talking about your week. Everyone in the group says what they are thankful for and what is bothering them or causing them stress. 
Next, someone reads through the Bible section for the day out loud while everyone else follows along. Then, without looking at the text, someone else retells the story by memory. Others can fill in what might have been left out. Two important questions help discover the wisdom of the Bible. After reading the passage again, the group discusses the question, what does this story tell us about God, Jesus, or His plan? After another reading, the group considers the question, what does this story tell us about humans? By limiting the discussion to ideas found only in the text, we allow the Bible to speak for itself. In fact, this is the essence of the Discovery Bible Study. We are always asking, where do we find that idea in this text? This wisdom becomes practical when everyone answers these questions. From what we see in the text, what is it that you are doing well? What might need to change in your life? And do you know anyone else who needs to hear this and how would you go about sharing it with them? Next week, everyone has a chance to tell how they were able to put this into practice. A Discovery Bible Study is a safe place where we can bring our big questions and see for ourselves what the Bible says. All right, so notice the following week, the 27th, after the Alpha training, opportunity for you to get more information and training on how you would do this. But it's, it's not complicated. That's why I wanted you to see that. So simple. You don't have to teach. You allow the Bible to speak for itself. And this, for some of you, may go, oh, I really connect to this. Others will go, no, I really connect to Alpha. That's why I want you to see the two unique tools that you might be able to use to simply say, let's open the Bible and see what the Bible has to say for itself. And I don't have time to do an interview, but out at our Alpha gathering there, there'll be some folks from our body who have done DBS as well, done the Discovery of Bible Studies. Uh, with a neighbor who's Muslim, and stories of going, wow, I see this about God, and I see this about me, and I'm seeing this about my life, allowing the Bible to speak for himself. Doing it with her neighbor, she's doing it with her mom, she's doing it with her teenage brother. Others have done it with family out of the country. Just open the Bible, let's read it together, let's see what it says. Let the Bible speak for itself. So I want to encourage you. That is something that you could do. You could do it. You don't need to be a seminary-trained person. You don't have to be a Bible expert. You can allow people to ask their questions and Alpha, and you can allow people to see what the Bible says for themselves, DBS. The only way the enemy will win is this. If you're isolated, the only way the enemy will win is if you're isolated, right? Or what? Silent. Remember, bless. Begin with prayer. Listen. Eat. Serve and share. It begins with prayer. So hopefully there's at least one, maybe four names that you wrote. Let me invite you to bow. And um, 
as you think about those four names on your sheet, ask yourself this question. Can you invite them? To church? To Alpha? Would you do Alpha in the home and invite them? Or would you say, you want to learn more about Jesus together? Pray that the Lord right now would give you courage and faith to be his ambassador. people who are willing and would really love to do that. God bless. See you next time.